Well, as I mentioned, we are in this final message of this What's in a Name series. I know I personally have really enjoyed it. We've taken 11 weeks to walk through 13 different names of God, and we just so you know, this isn't an exhaustive list. There's still more, but I just kind of picked out uh, this, through this course of 11 weeks, 13 different names that we're going to go through. Uh, like I said, I hope it's been encouraging and challenging for you that I want you to really realize that some of these names, hopefully, hopefully you knew some of them going into this series, but coming out of it, I hope that you know even more than you did going into it. And I challenge you that when you pray, begin praying out, okay, God, you're Jehovah Jireh. You're my provider. Lord, you're Jehovah Shalom. You are my peace. You are my healer. And being able to pray out those things, don't just say, okay, God, but begin calling out the names of God because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What he did in the times of the Bible, he is actively wanting to do today as well. Because why would he value them more than he values us? He doesn't because he loves us all the same because we are all created in the image of God. Amen? Amen. Today's name is one that you probably, if you are familiar with old school Christian, uh, contemporary Christian music, you probably have heard of Amy Grant's El Shaddai. And so I was joking with Pastor Jacob and I mentioned, he's like, well, do you want to do El Shaddai this morning? I'm like, no, we can, we can let them stream Spotify if they want to listen to El Shaddai following service. But this is, name has been made famous, but when we look at scripture, Shaddai appears in scripture 48 times, and the exact name El Shaddai appears seven times, and this makes it one of the most used names of God in scripture. Some slight variations exist on the usage of El Shaddai and additional meanings of the name, but ultimately the widely held belief that El Shaddai means is God Almighty. Now, it's probably a phrase that you have said before, that God Almighty, but I think we don't always take time to really understand what we're saying and to take a step back and embrace it. Almighty, by definition, means to have absolute power over all. That when we say El Shaddai, when we say God Almighty, we're saying that, God, you have absolute power over all. Let that sink in this morning into your minds, because here's the thing, we can go through all these different names, and I've intentionally left this one for last because I want you to walk out of this series with this thinking. It's easy if you said, okay, I've watched as God has healed before. It's easy for me to accept God as healer because I have a testimony of what God did in this particular situation. But I don't know so much about God as provider. I don't know so much about God as peace. I'm str still struggling in these areas. If he's El Shaddai, that means he has to have ultimate authority over all. Not just the things you're comfortable with. Not just the things that are easy for you to believe that God can do. God has ultimate authority over all. Every situation, every circumstance that's going on in your life, God has ultimate authority over. This morning, before we go into this passage, we're going to be going back to Genesis uh, 17. This is immediately following last week's passage where we talked about El Roy. Uh, with uh, Hagar and her saying that, God, you see me. So we're jumping right back into Genesis chapter 17, but I want you to repeat after me, and I want you to match my excitement and energy level. Some of you, you just you kind of look like, oh, I had my Thanksgiving Day meal yesterday, and I'm tired and I'm full. You've, you haven't even had your turkey yet. Get ready. Wake up. Here we go. Heavenly Father. Oh, come on. Heavenly Father. Your word is written. 
in my mind and hidden in my heart. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will seek you with all of my strength. My greatest desire is to be a disciple and to make more disciples. I will live my life according to your word. Your word, O oh Lord, is eternal. All right, this is Genesis 17, 1 through 8. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring and throughout your generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of the sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. As we look at so many of these different names, most of these names have been tied back to Abraham or Moses. There's not a coincidence that they looked at these individuals as their leaders, that when we even get into the genealogy of Jesus, how important it was to be able to say, here's my direct line, here's my passageway back to Abraham. Because Abraham had so many of these moments, so many of these experiences with God. And let me just tell you this today, that God wants to have the same level of experience with you if you're willing to let him have it with you. You see, one of the things I just want to throw out here that we have this idea that God has the ultimate authority. When we look at all the things going on in the world, when we look at sin, sickness, death, disease, Satan, the attacks of the enemy, God has ultimate authority over all those things. There's one thing, though, that he can't just go in and do whatever he wants with, and that's you. He can have a plan for you. He can have a will for you. But you have free will. And you can make the decision whether you're going to allow God to be the ultimate authority over you, be El Shaddai for you, or if you're going to make the decision and say, you know what, I'm going to do my own thing. In this particular moment, you look at this, Abram has been struggling with this concept. He knew what the promise was. He knew where God wanted him to go. And he kept waiting and he kept waiting. Even last week, if we look at the last verse of chapter 16, Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Chapter 17, when Abram was 99 years old. In that little bit of a white space in your Bible, 13 years pass. 13 years of doubt, 13 years of what's going on. God, you promised this and it hasn't happened. Do you believe God has ultimate authority or not? It's really easy to say, well, you don't know my situation. Abram had already received this promise and 13 years have passed. His son that, like, can't you use him? 13 years passed. He's a teenager and you still don't have this promised son. You still don't have the pathway to this multitude of nations that you have promised that the, your generations will count more than the stars. 
that God promised so much to Abraham. In this moment, he's still stuck as Abram. But is God El Shaddai? Is this the God Almighty? Is this the God that you're going to trust to be able to do what you uh, expected to do? And I think for some of us in this room that you might even be sitting here today and you say, I know what God spoke to me, but it doesn't seem to come to pass. I'm still waiting. The, the, the plan hasn't played out the way that I've wanted to. I don't know what to do. Let me just share something with you in this, that Abraham, in this period, going by Abram, feels like, I know what I'm supposed to do. I know what the call is, but why isn't it happening? Why isn't it there? And I want you to think of, let's say that you had a family member that had the, a big inheritance for you one day. And I'm not talking about when you get the email that this is a Nigerian prince that has an inheritance for you that he wants to, to, to send your way. But I'm talking that you know that this person has a legitimate inheritance and it's somebody that you care about, somebody that you're passionate about, that you love this individual. You don't have to go and prove yourself to them. You don't have to go and say, well, these are all the reasons you should give me the money. This is all the reasons that you should give me the, the opportunity. You just do life with the person that you care about. And in due time, that inheritance comes. And in this case, God is promising Abraham through his lineage, through his generations, here's the inheritance that your children and your children's children and your children's children's children, your great-grandchildren, your great-great-grandchildren, this is what they're going to have if you continue to be faithful and do what I've called you to do. Abraham didn't have to earn this. It was given to him by faithfully seeking the face of God. This is one of the problems that we run into with works-based faith. It's not about anything that you've done. If it's about what you've done, then the whole point of Jesus coming that we're about to celebrate in the Christmas season is for nothing. Because if you could have earned salvation, then Jesus didn't need to come as a baby. Jesus didn't need to go to the cross. You could have just lived a good enough life, but you couldn't. But ultimately, we have El Shaddai, God Almighty, who is authority over everything that said, you know what, I see that sin. I can take care of that problem. I see that sickness. I can take care of that problem. I see those crushed dreams. I can take care of that problem. As we look at this passage, here's the thing that just kind of blows my mind. We see God promising something that to us feels impossible. Imagine being at the age of 99 and all of a sudden God's saying, you're about to have a son. I don't care, male or female in this room. If all of a sudden God said, 99, you're about to have a child. I think most of us be like, God, are you sure about that? Doesn't make a lot of sense. But in this context, it's kind of ironic because Abraham would have had enough tie back to his previous generations where they lived for substantially longer periods of time. Where they were having children past the age of 100. See, here's the problem is Abraham lost sight of his past and lost sight of the testimonies and lost sight of all the good things that God had done and was so focused on his present and what he didn't have in the moment that he started to say, okay, well, God, maybe you don't have authority overall. But when you look at this right off the bat, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. It's almost like God is saying, hey, Abram, pay attention to me. I'm in charge. I'm in control. I have authority over everything. What you think is impossible is completely possible. This can work. Get your eyes on your testimony and get your eyes on the vision of where I'm calling you to go. 
But this right here in this moment, stop focusing on what you don't have. Stop focusing on the missed opportunities. Stop focusing on the sin of your past and realize I've got greater things in store for you if you'll continue just to go forward and do what I've called you to do. All of a sudden, take a look at your testimony, start sharing your testimony and saying, hey, once upon a time I was over here and I was messed up, but God's got me a couple steps further along. And I realize I'm not where I need to be yet, but look at where I'm not anymore. And starting to declare that and get excited about that. See, here's the problem is we feel almost ashamed at times of like, I'm over here and God's moved me, but my story's not complete so I can't tell my story yet. No, tell the story of where you're no longer at. One of the, the concepts that uh, exists in the running world is a couch to 5K. Have anybody ever heard of that, those programs before? Here's one of the things. You may look at it and say like, well, you're training for a marathon right now. What do, you, what do you care about a couch to 5K? Anytime someone gets off the couch and starts participating in a 5K, that's progress. Guess what is better than uh, sitting on the couch? Running or walking a 5K. So before you start thinking, well, what about a 10K? What about a 15K? What about running a half marathon? What about a full marathon? Don't worry about those things. Worry about taking the first step. Worry about putting the first foot in front of the next one, in front of the next one, and moving in progress. And then all of a sudden you can say, hey, I remember when I couldn't even walk a mile at a time. Now I can run three miles. Now I can go six miles. Now it's nine. Now it's a half marathon. Now it's a full marathon. But you go back and you start and you build upon your testimony. And it's all possible because God is El Shaddai. God is God Almighty. God is in control. And when you don't think he's in control, he's still in control. That there's moments that I'll even be real with you. Is, as a pastor of this church, there's so many notes that I've taken in my phone. There's so many photos that I've taken in my phone. Because it's easy for me to walk around this building and say, hey, somebody could win mega millions today. They could tie the million dollars to me. And I would spend it that quickly between giving the first 10% to missions and then putting the rest into uh, the parking lot, the roof, renovating this room, getting everything to where it needs to be. I could spend a million dollars so quickly between missions, ministry, and this building, and we'd still have things that we would want to do and things that we needed to accomplish. But I look to where we were six years ago, and I look to where we are today, and I have to look back at those pictures and realize in the fall when it rains, there's no longer Home Depot buckets all over the place. That I look at the fact that two-thirds of the roof has been done. I look at the amount that's been given the missions every single year. I look at the fact that we can do a Halloween event where we are impacting our community because when we first started doing it, we didn't have that many people, but we had nearly 1,000 people walk through our building. God is giving us favor and growing us and moving us, and I want to be in a position that we're ready, that when God says, okay, hey, I remember back in the 80s when you had 1,200 people. What are you going to do when all of a sudden I bring 2,000 people to your door? Because guess what? Within a five-square-mile radius of this building, there's 100,000 people. There's plenty of people that need Jesus. We cannot get focused on, well, God gave us our moment, and our moment's gone, so now we're just going to survive as a church. I have zero interest in just surviving as a church. We need to take new ground. We're about, I believe it's a year and a half, two years away from celebrating 100 years as a church. And I believe that the year 98, 99, 100, 101, that there is more in store and greater things because God is El Shaddai. And God is God Almighty. And that God is powerful and God has authority over every single thing. And I'm hardly even into my message yet and I'm pretty excited right now. But as we 
go through this message today, what I want you to realize, there is the, the setup, that's where El Shaddai comes from. We're going to look at three scriptures that when we read scripture that God has ultimate authority and that God is in control, it changes the way that we read the Bible. And so these three passages don't necessarily mention the name El Shaddai, but when we realize that El Shaddai is El shaddai that God is, uh, has authority over all, it changes the way we read things. So this is Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he has raised Christ Jesus from the dead, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to flesh, to live accordingly to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children. Children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those 
whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And to those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Now there's multiple sermons in that whole passage, and I don't have time to unpack all of it, but here's a couple of key things we can pull from this. Knowing that God is El Shaddai, knowing that God is God Almighty. In Christ, there is no condemnation. You hear that all the time of people saying, well, I can't walk into the church because a lightning bolt will strike me because of the things that I've done. That's condemnation. That's the enemy trying to prevent somebody from having a proper relationship with God, from walking into everything that God has for them. When we're in Christ, there is conviction because God is trying to change us and move us in a different way. Almost in the same way that if you're on a a sport team, you have a coach, whatever it looks like, the coach says, hey, I need you to stop doing this and do this instead. And the coach is giving you direction simply because the coach is trying to get everything the coach can get out of you. And it's trying to help you accomplish your best. The Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit's present in us, is all about coaching us to get us to where we need to be so that God can do everything in us that he wants to. Not so that we feel bad, but so that we'll change and accomplish more. The second thing is this, as we step into a relationship with God, we are no longer living by the flesh because Jesus has set us free when he became man and he took on the flesh. Because of what Jesus did as we celebrate Thanksgiving, I can't think of anything to be more thankful for than Jesus coming and dying on the cross for our behalf. Because of what he did, we can now step into freedom. Because if God doesn't do his part, then all of a sudden we do have to try and earn our salvation. And we do have to try and prove ourselves and act right and do all these things. But God did it already for us because he's El Shaddai. Because he's God Almighty, he is above all those things. And he made a way for us. The third thing is as we enter this life with Christ, we are not slaves, but we're sons and daughters. That in the past when you would say, okay, well, I'm a slave to the sin, I'm stuck in the sin. No, we are heirs to the authority. We're heirs to the righteousness. We're heirs to the glory of the almighty God of the universe. That all we have to do is draw near to him and he'll draw near to us. And then the fourth thing is this, is we stumble and we struggle in our weaknesses. We have to be reminded that God is made strong. So often we want to hide the weakness and put out our strength. But when we put out our strength, what we end up doing is putting out, well, here's my pride. Here are the things that I'm good at doing. But all of a sudden when we can celebrate what God is actively doing in us, through us, for us, we can realize that God's got great things in store. And in my weakness, he's made strong. Because it's really easy to say, well, this is my strength. This is what I'm good at. I can do that. Did God really do that or did I do that? But when it's in my weakness, oh, I know God did it. Because on my own, I don't have the power to do that. I don't have the ability to do that. But that's God. God stepped in and in my weakness, he proved himself to be strong. The next passage I want to read to you, the next two are shorter, I promise. But uh, Isaiah 41, 8 through 10. But you, Israel, my servant, 
Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. How awesome and amazing is it to know that the one that's God Almighty, El Shaddai, one would call his creation his friends. They would want to have proximity to us. He holds all power in his hand, but he wants to have relationship with us, to strengthen us, to help us, to uphold us. That God didn't just create us with the sole purpose of saying, well, I'm going to create you, and now I'm going to kind of take a step back and watch as it all plays out and see what happens. God is an active participant in our lives because he is above all, but he is for you. And then the last passage is Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 2. But now says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the fire or the flame shall not consume you. God Almighty, El Shaddai, who created you, formed you, redeemed you, is calling you by name because he's also El Roy and he sees you. And he has not forgotten you, he has not forsaken you, and he is with you. It doesn't mean that we're not going to go through trials in life. It doesn't mean that we're not going to have tests. It doesn't mean that everything is going to be perfect. Because there's some out there that will say that, well, now you're in Christ, so everything is going to be good. No, that's, that's not true. If anything, if you're actually accomplishing anything for the glory of God, you're going to feel, feel spiritual attacks. I mean, I, I don't know how to, like, sugarcoat that and make that feel nice and warm and, and fuzzy. But I can tell you this, is that if something positive happens because you are impacting the kingdom of God for the good, Satan's going to come up against you and try and stop you. I've used this example before. I love this exa example, so I'll use it again. If you put me into a professional basketball game, nobody would guard me. I'm not tall enough. I can't jump. I can't really shoot. I probably would foul out within the first five minutes of being in the game. I would be like, I wouldn't even be the 12th man on the team. I would be like the 16th man, the, the guy that they cut so that they could make room to cut the next guy. Because I'm not skilled. You wouldn't guard me because you don't have to worry about me. I am not a threat on the basketball court. But when God puts me in my proper spot of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then all of a sudden we start making headway in our community, then it's easy for all of a sudden for me to become a spiritual uh, a target for Satan to attack. When all of a sudden you're doing what you're called to do in your workplace and people that are far from God begin coming close to God because you're sharing the witness of El Shaddai, of God Almighty with them, and all of a sudden God's starting to kind of move in their life and change things, you become a target for Satan. Satan doesn't come after you if he doesn't need to worry about you. Because remember, Satan's not all-powerful. That's God. Satan's not omnipresent. He's not everywhere. That's God. Satan's not all-knowing. That's God. So Satan has limited resources and limited tricks in his bag. And guess what? He used his last of his tricks of his abilities when he tried putting Jesus on the cross and he lost. 
Now he's desperately trying to catch up and he's going to lose. One of the best analogies of this is a football game when your team is up big and your team is just running out the clock. Because to win the game of football, you just need more points at the end of regulation. And you go into prevent defense. And the idea being, hey, we just don't want you to score 20 points, 30 points, 40 points. I don't care if you get points. You just, you're not going to get behind me. And this kind of imagery where it's, it's easy to say, you know what, Satan, you're going to try and claw and get back as many cheap points as you can. No, our goal is we're going to stand firm. Not only are we trying to win this game, I'm not interested in playing a prevent defense of saying, okay, you can get these five people, but these five you can't have. No, Satan, you can't have anything. I want to shut you out. It's one of my favorite things when you're watching a team that it really matters to them that they win the game and they make the other team embarrassed and look bad, which is going to happen next Saturday. I'm just throwing that out there. I'm sorry if you're from the state of Ohio, but I'm grateful and thankful this week that I'm from the state of Michigan. And I don't need to steal any signs from the enemy because my God's already won. As I'm mixing, I'm sorry, I apologize. God forgive me. (laughs) But here's the thing. The, the parallel this. So we have God Almighty. We have El Shaddai. The God is above all things, but we have to remember the full context of who God is. We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So that means when Jesus comes down, we have Jesus as El Shaddai. El Shaddai. That Jesus becomes El Shaddai in the flesh. That when Jesus walked over the earth, he demonstrated his power over sickness, over death, over sin, over demonic power. Everything was under his control as God gave him direction to do. When we look at Matthew 8.27, it says the men, the disciples, they were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him because Jesus was El Shaddai in the flesh. That Jesus was able to walk and say to the winds, stop. Jesus was able to walk on water. Jesus was able to call the uh, demons out of people. Jesus was able to heal, restore, redeem because he was El Shaddai in the flesh and he had all authority. When we look at Matthew 28, 18, it says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me because he is El Shaddai in the flesh. Jesus is not only all-powerful but has the authority to exercise that power as he sees fit. That means he will step in and exert his influence in your situation whenever you invite him or whatever you need him to do. Now, here's the thing I want you to realize. It sounds really good to say that. But in reality, I think we all realize that not everybody gets healed on the side of eternity. God's ways are still higher than our ways. I don't understand everything that God says, does. It doesn't always make sense to me. It doesn't always feel good to me. But I know that God's in control. Because here's the thing, God doesn't have to submit to my authority, I have to submit to his authority. And that's the difference. That God might say, okay, it's time to call this person home, but but God, I want them healed. You're not God. When we can look at Jesus and we can operate like Jesus, the goal is that we begin walking in the authority that Jesus walked in. And scripture tells us that we can do greater things than uh, what Jesus did. But we have to walk in the authority that Jesus walked in. Because if you notice, Jesus walked by people that needed healing that he didn't pray for healing for. But his disciples did afterwards. 
Was that the, the fact that Jesus didn't want them healed in that moment? No, God the Father didn't tell him to pray for that particular individual because that person needed to get healed at a different time for a different reason. And we want to force our authority and our opinions on God when ultimately we say, okay, God, you're El Shaddai, I'm not El Shaddai. It's your authority, it's your power, whatever it is you call me to do, I will do. And here's the thing that I love about El Shaddai so much, and worship team, if you'll go ahead and come forward at this time. This is Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came along, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put up to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive a, and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And as we transition out of this series into our next I want us to realize that we have all of these different names of God. All these different characteristics. All these things that God wants to be for us, is for us. But ultimately, maybe there's none greater than the fact that we have him as Emmanuel. God with us. That God looked at it and said, I'm El Shaddai. I'm over all things. I have all authority. But I'm going to execute my authority by coming as a man so that I can live the life that they weren't able to do so that I could be uh, that perfect sacrifice for their behalf. This morning, I don't know where you sit in this room, whether you need El Shaddai to still be your savior, whether you're lost in sin, you're lost in your struggles, you're lost in issues. In a moment, I'll have the, the prayer team come forward. And if you say like, hey, I need Jesus in my life and I need someone to pray with me, that they'll be glad to pray with you. And just saying, I need to give up my past. I need to be able to get to that spot where I can celebrate that here's where I was, but I'm going to start taking baby steps, moving in the direction that God has for me so I can become everything that God intends for me to be. So I can have a testimony, so I can share the power of what God's done. Maybe you just need El Shaddai to fill you with his presence. That the authority of God could be present so you could feel like, okay, God, I hear you, I see you, I feel you, I know you're trying to do something. Maybe you need... El Shaddai to meet you in your situation, in your struggle, in your circumstance. You say, hey, I've heard all these names over the course of three months, and I don't really know, like, is God real? God has full authority to show up and be real in your life. Or maybe you need God Almighty to be something else to you this morning. But as we just worship, let me encourage you that God is a present God. He's so present that he became Emmanuel. And as we study over these next five weeks leading up to the Christmas Eve, we're going to be looking through the uh, first chapter of Matthew and kind of a ripple effect out from there. We're going to be looking at the genealogy of Jesus because 
Most genealogies in the Bible, what you see is that there is so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so, and it's the father to the son to the grandson to the great-grandson to the great-great-grandson. But in the genealogy of Jesus, there are five women that are mentioned. And when you look at it on the surface, those five women don't make a lot of sense. That if you told me I get to pick the best of the best women to include in this genealogy, it's not who I would pick. But it's who Matthew picked. And Matthew's intention was he was writing to a Jewish audience to prove who Jesus was. To make the case of, hey, you've been in this Jewish faith, you've been waiting for this Savior, you've been waiting for this Messiah. Jesus was that Messiah. Accept him. But he intentionally picks particularly the first four. The fifth one is Mary, the, the mother of Jesus. But the first four, he picks Gentiles that have no business being in the genealogy of the Jesus. Because while he's saying Jesus came for you, he's also beginning to pave that way. But he also came for everybody else. He came for those that are Gentiles. He came for men. He came for women. He came for the least of these. He came for those that are stuck in their sins. Even in the case of the, the second week, we'll look at Rahab, who Rahab throughout the Bible gets identified over and over again as a prostitute. Jesus came for the prostitute. He came for those that felt like they weren't seen. Because he's El Shaddai. He's God over all. So would you just stand up, prayer team, go ahead and come forward if you're, you're in here. If you need prayer for anything, come to our prayer team. They'll come to the, the altar. Feel free to come to the altar on your own. But let's just worship the King of kings and Lord of lords because he is God Almighty this morning.